0: Amen, amen. Well, hey, it's good to be uh, having a service with people in it again. Amen? It's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but I I will tell you this. um, Because of the decision we had to make and took the two weekends off, um, it was incredibly hard to get back to actually getting up here and speaking to an empty room, it's so nice to see other faces looking back uh, while we're speaking. It just it just encourages us. So lots of amens today, lots of head nods, lots of that'll just help me out, right? Yeah, fist pumps and all of that. That'll that'll be super great. Um, I want to say thank you, thank you to Shine Church for all of you that are watching online, for all of you that are here uh, today, uh, because. Um, when we announced that we had a couple staff members that weren't feeling well, um, the response from you as a church was amazing. Uh, I just got people just saying, hey, how can we pray? We're praying for you. Uh, thank you for letting us know. We totally understand. And I, I didn't get any kind of negative pushback. I just got just just great love from all of the church. And then when we found out that Pastor Janelle actually did test positive for COVID, um, I sent out that other email. Um, and we just informed you she does have COVID, and be praying for her. And again, just responses of, uh, we're praying for you, we're praying for her, um, and just keep us informed. And we love you, and just such encouraging words again from you as a church. Thank you so much. Thanks for riding this roller coaster with us because that is exactly what it has been. It has been just this roller coaster, and I just I I felt like you guys were behind us and supporting us. And so let me give you just a quick update. Janelle is feeling way better, almost getting back to her normal self, Um, and so much so that she actually is getting married tomorrow. So that's a good thing. So that is such a great thing. And so um, we told her, even before she, she got sick, that she could have a couple weekends off to get married. I, is that okay? Does that make sense? So I want to say thank Kaylee for helping out and leading worship. She did a great job. Very good. I, I tell you what, when you and Janelle sing together, watch out. I mean, that's, that is so good. So thank you so much for filling in. And uh, be praying for uh, Janelle and Marcus as they get married on Monday and uh, it looks like they're gonna be able to go on their honeymoon and and all those things that um, you know they were worried that that might not be able to happen looks like it's going to happen so that's just such great news so hey we're gonna continue our study on the book of Ephesians and what we're going to do today is Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 32 and while I was studying it I just really felt a different way to go about this in that uh, I am just going to start tackling verse by verse, um, and then there's just a few verses that I want to highlight as we, as we go through it. Uh, but let's start with just a word of prayer. Um, there are some encouraging things, or uh, there's some challenging, there's some encouraging things in this, and there's some challenging things in this. And so uh, I'm just asking you, uh, would you ask the Holy Spirit to speak? to your heart, and um, really just ask him if there's something in this message, in this word, that is for you, because I believe this word is, as it says in, in the verse, verses one through 16, I believe that this section is actually written by Paul in order to equip and train us to grow in our maturity, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, but we have to want it, we have to want it, and so let's just ask Jesus to come and speak to us. So Heavenly Father, um, we just give you this time, and we ask that you, um, you would just have your way, um, whether people listening here in this room or from their home or from their office or from their car, God, wherever someone may find themselves, Lord, I pray that you would help them to realize that um, you are good. As we just sang, you are good and we are loved. And God, we understand that the first three chapters of Ephesians set that up, tried to give us an understanding of who we are in you and how you see us. And now, as we move into chapter four and into some of the practical things that you want to challenge us with, that you want to grow us with, God, I pray that we would open our hearts to just hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would increase in me right now. Holy Spirit, take over. Holy Spirit, take over from this point. I only want to speak what you would have me speak, and as I communicate, Lord, I pray that the words would go into the hearts and the spirits of every single person listening right now. Open our hearts, open our lives, and change us, I pray, in your name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17, he starts by saying this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. I'm gonna stop real quick there. So I tell you this, what is the this? Well, the this is the first 16 verses, which uh, I just want to uh, give a shout out to Pastor DJ, who's actually uh, working behind the computer there. Did a great job last weekend talking about the first 16 verses. Um, He had four different points. My two favorite points that he brought up was this, a call can change your life forever. Would you agree with that? Yes. And if you remember, what is a call? If you look it up, a call is an invitation, an invitation into what God has for each one of us. And it's just not a single invitation. It's a continual invitation. I believe with all of my heart that God is continually going after each one of us and inviting us to come into the things that he has purposed and plans for us. And it's not just a one-time thing, but it's a continual thing. I love what DJ said, this invitation, this call can change your life. When God speaks to you and begins to show you the purposes and plans that he created you for, boy, that begins to change the purpose and the focus of your life. But it leads into the second point, which I love that he said, and that is this, don't be afraid of a little sweat. See, an invitation from God actually takes a little sweat equity to see it completed. Yes? And not all of us want to give that, but the truth is we're all going, and we're going to get into this, we all are going to work towards something. So why don't we work towards what God has for us rather than um, what the world would try to give to us? And it takes a little sweat equity, but I'm just telling you that it's worth it. And so um, I just reread 1 through 16 real quickly, and I just want to bring out a couple things. The first one is this. Um, The concept of growth and even the word maturity is used a couple times. But the concept of growth and maturity, growing in our relationship with the Lord, maturing in that relationship, is mentioned in those 16 verses for at least four different times. I could make a case for five. But it's very interesting to me that as Paul transitions from the first three books of Ephesians, which really he's trying to help us to understand who we are and how God sees us, that he now is transitioning into, okay, some really practical things on how we do this. And he starts that section at the beginning of four by saying, growth, maturity, maturity, growth. And he wants us to get this. And so I have two challenging questions for you right up front. The first one is this, do you want to grow and mature? Okay, it's super easy to say yes to that but when I t- start talking about the sweat equity, do you want to grow and mature? A little quieter, but I love the fact that there were still some yeses, so, so that's good. Um, all right, well, so how do we grow and how do we mature? Well, I would submit to you one of the ways is that we see in, in the first 16 verses that he says that he gives apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip us to do the work of the ministry. Okay, so he gives those people in the church to equip us to go out into the world and do ministry. I would propose to you this, that in order to mature and to grow in our faith, we need to be willing to be equipped. I hope that's why you're here today. I hope that's why you're listening online, is because you want a word from God that will equip you and help you mature and grow in your faith. And I would encourage you, get into this word because this word right here is alive and active and it is the best thing to equip and train you. And then find some messages and some worship that will encourage your spirit as well so that you'll be equipped and trained. Because this is what Paul is saying. Have a desire to respond to the invitation that God has for you. And open your heart to receive the equipping that God has for you. And he says, so I tell you this. Tell you all of that and insist on it in the Lord so that you you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Okay, futility. If you look it up, again, go to biblehub.com and you can look up the verse and you can click on the Greek and it'll open it up and show you what all the meanings are. But if you look up the word futility, it means emptiness. So don't be like the Gentiles in the emptiness of their thinking. Okay, the word thinking there is actually the word mind. It's the same word that is used in Romans 12:2, where it says, do no, do no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transfer, transformation of your mind. Same word here as thinking. And what it actually means is to receive God's thought through faith. So get the picture here. He's saying, what I've said in verses 1 through 16, I'm saying that so that you will transition from the way of the Gentiles, the way of the world, which is empty in their revelation from God. Do you get that? I'm not saying that people in the world have empty minds. That's not what I'm saying. They think a lot, they think all kinds of things, but here's what I would submit. They are thinking things that are not inspired by God. Would you agree with that? And Paul is trying to get us to see this. He's trying to get us to understand, hey, if you wanna mature, if you wanna grow, if you wanna be equipped, you need to move away from having just empty thoughts that aren't inspired by God. And so he's saying, man, move away from that and move into this. And then he describes what that looks like in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. I'm going to stop right there. They are darkened in their understanding. Okay, I'm going to get a little excited here because as I was studying this out, oh my gosh. The word understanding in the Greek, it's the same word that's used for the word mind in the greatest commandment. Where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind. If you remember, um, back in June, I taught on Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. If you didn't listen to that, go back to that message, get it, listen to it, because I don't have time to go into it. But here's the quick synopsis. The word mind there, means this it's not the same as we just talked about where you have a divine revelation from the lord the word mind there is this to actually come alongside another person understand where they're coming from and create a balanced position they are darkened in their understanding same word they are darkened in their ability to get with somebody else and understand where they're coming from Dude, are we not living in that world right now? Where people are not willing to come along and hear the other side and actually try to come up with a really healthy, balanced, God-inspired position. And this is what Paul is saying, is these people are empty in their revelation from God and they've stopped even entertaining what other people might think. And they're only going on what they think. They have become darkened in their understanding Whew. and separated from the life of God. So once you, start, once you start into that path, what happens? Well, you get darkened on your understanding, you get separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Hardening. Okay. Hardening. If you look that word up, it's hardness. And it has a couple different meanings. One is to be blind. The second is to be calloused. Okay, now, I have tried to play guitar a couple times, and so I'll pick it up, and I'll start playing the guitar, and my fingers will start hurt, and so I give up. But guitar players that I've talked to will tell me that if I will push through that pain I will actually develop calluses on my fingers, and then I can play and I can go for as long as I want because I have a hardening of the calluses on my finger. Now, for a guitar player, that's a good thing. For somebody who's trying to seek the Lord, that is a bad thing. And see, what Paul is saying is this, they have come to a position Where they're not getting any revelation from the Lord, so therefore they've stopped interacting with one another and trying to understand other viewpoints, and because of that, their hearts become hard, calloused, blinded. And let me just ask you real quick how are you doing right now? Are you keeping your heart soft? Is your heart pliable? Or do you find yourself getting a little hardened in the middle of this? I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm struggling with this right now because I really don't like a lot of the things that people are telling me to do that I don't know if they even are effective or work. Read between the lines on all that, okay? And so what, what happens is instead of keeping my heart pliable, I find myself wanting to get hard in those things. And that's, that's what the world does, is what Paul is saying. And what I would encourage you is, hey, let's not get hard hearts. Let's ask God to keep our hearts pliable and soft and open to hear his inspiration. Because when he gives us inspiration, we won't be empty in mind. We'll be full of his mind. Yes? All right. You guys good so far? Dude, isn't this rich? I was reading through this. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. Okay. So... Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, a few different things here. Uh, First off, um, (laughs) lost sensitivity. Different Greek word, but the meaning came up again calloused. So get this, if we let ourselves go into the empty type of thinking, we start to get a hardened heart, and then we lose the ability to have sensitivity because we're so hardened, right? And then it says, and then they went after sensuality. Now, what, if, what is that word? That word is wantonness. It means to want something. And I was reading a devotion this week, and the devotion basically said something to this effect, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's taking place, you should always go to God to bring you health and life. And I've taught this before, and so I'll just give a quick reminder, but there is a battle in every single one of our lives. And we have, we're made up of a spirit, soul, and flesh. And there is a battle between our spirit and our flesh going after our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. You guys experienced this battle? And here's uh, what I felt like the Lord showed me a long time ago, is that the spirit and the flesh aren't battling against each other. They actually are just trying to meet the needs of the mind, will, and emotions. And so the way that the flesh wants to meet the need of the soul is um, we get ideas out of our flesh that will make us feel pleasure for a moment. Like, hey, some Krispy Kreme donuts sure would be good right now. A six-pack or a 12-pack would kind of bring me pleasure today. Maybe yelling at a person would get me uh, a feeling of better because then I could justify maybe getting on Facebook and posting, I feel better. Anybody? Okay. The truth of the matter is it may feel good for a moment, but in the end, it's death because the flesh will always try to feed something to our mind, will, and emotions that brings death, where our spirit is always trying to feed our mind, will, and emotions with something that will bring life. This word wantonness makes me think of all of the things that are out in the world that try to bring that temporary pleasure. It says they have become calloused and hard-hearted, and therefore, anybody who has a hard heart, just so you know, They know they have a hard heart. They know it. And there's even just this little irritation in them that's like, if they would just be honest with themselves, they're just like, "Eh, yeah, my heart's hard right now. I've been through there. And there's just that agitation and that irritation in the inner depth. And it's funny because the enemy uses that irritation, that agitation to make us go after those simple pleasures. Yes, if I could just buy the right boat, the right car, the right house, Man, just get that little pleasure. Then I'd feel better. You know what? All it does is actually take us to the next thing, which says that we will then indulge. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. That word indulge, I found this really interesting. The word indulge means work. Work. It's the same root word that we find in Ephesians 2, where it says, we are, not, we, are, we are saved by grace and grace alone and not by works, so that no one can boast, in order, verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, in order to do the good works planned for us. Same root word, works. Okay, get the picture. God wants us to open our minds to get revelation from him so that the works that we do are being led by the spirit of God and the word of God. The enemy wants to take dissatisfaction, irritation, agitation, and wants us to go after those simple pleasures so that we will work for those things and not for God. Get that. And here's what's really cool, when we see this, and when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to this idea, we can quickly discern, what am I really going after here? Am I going after a temporary pleasure, or am I going after my Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords? All it will take is 30 seconds, 60 seconds of meditation on why am I doing what I'm doing, and we will know. And that is my prayer is that your hearts will be enlightened at this point to be able to weigh, where am I going right now? Am I going after God or am I going after those simple pleasures? Because then when it finishes, it says they are full of greed. The word greed there is I want more, 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 I want more. And here's what's interesting. Whatever we let feed our soul, what I have found is that once I let it feed it, I want more of it. If it's from the spirit, man, I get a revelation from God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I want more, I want more, I want more. When I eat the donuts, oh, that's so good. I want more, I want more, I want more. Anybody ever stop at just two chips? Heck no. If the bag is gets open, I'm eating at least half of it. Anybody else? I mean, wasn't it Lay's that said you can't just eat one? Yeah. Why? Because they understood this. I want more. I want more. There's a greed inside of us. And what's interesting is I think it goes either way. We get filled up with God. We want more. We want more. When we let our spirit meet our soul, we want more. We want more. But when we let our flesh, and that is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Okay. So then he moves on. And I'll go through these next few verses pretty quickly. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him according with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught, get what Paul is saying, and if you weren't taught this, understand this is the heart of God right here. Maybe you were under some incorrect teaching, but you were taught, Paul is telling the church of Ephesus, it's telling all of this, All of us, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so get the picture of what Paul is trying to say. We've got this comparison of the Gentiles, and he says, I write this so that you will not be this way, but that you will be over here where you were taught. And here's what you were taught. You were taught that because Jesus has come into your heart, you now have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because you have the gift of the Holy Spirit now, you don't live by your old flesh, your old man, but you need to live by the new man. You need to put the new man on every day several times a day. Now, in the middle of those two verses between the old and the new, it says that we are to be made new in the attitude of your minds. In some translations, it says the spirit of your minds. And in every translation, if you look it up, it actually refers to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's speaking about the Holy Spirit renewing our minds. Same word minds there as Romans twelve two. God inspired thinking through faith. Okay, so what is he saying here? He's saying, church, will you daily, several times a day, put on Christ and make the decision to step away from your flesh? Now, as I was studying and thinking about this, talking with the teaching team, um, the picture of us actually getting physically dressed. Because the word clo- to put on actually means this. To clothe or be clothed with the sense of sinking into a garment. Anybody have those favorite PJs that you can't wait to get into? Because when you put on them, you just sink right into them. Oh, these are so comfy. Oh. That's the concept. To put on. It's to sink in to this garment. And we get this from a physical sense. As a matter of fact, how many of you today put on fresh clothes? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody. That's good. At least I hope everybody did. Okay, I have another question. A little interactive part just with your hands here. Um, How many of you at least put on one new set of clothes every day? Okay, how many of you have put on two outfits in a day? How many of you have put on three outfits, outfits in a day? Four? Five? Anybody got five? I got, I got one five over here. Six, seven? No, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this, and it's interesting. Um, she will change her clothes four or five times sometimes in a day. Now get this, we wake up, we put out an outfit on to just wake up and get going, and then we decide, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go work out. And so you don't wear what you got on, right? You gotta go up to your closet, you gotta put on your workout clothes. And so then you go work out. Thank God people change out of their workout clothes. Yes? And so you get done working out, you go back to your closet, maybe even take a shower, put on other clothes, and then you go through your day, right? And you get home and you're like, oh, I don't wanna be in these jeans. So then you go and put on some comfy clothes, not your pajamas yet, but your comfy clothes so that you can go do dinner and that kind of stuff, right? And then after dinner and dessert, then you're like, okay, you know what? Now I need to get my PJs that are comfy. And you go back up and change again. Why do we do that? We put clothes on so that we can go through whatever we're going through in the right attire. And because we know that if we don't change our clothes, we're going to stink. We get that from a physical sense. The same is true spiritually. Think about it. If we don't realize that we need to put Christ on in whatever situation we're facing. Hey, I want to wake up and I want to get into the word. So Christ, I'm gonna put you on. Okay, get done with that. I've got to go to work now. All right, so Christ, I need to put you on again. I need your help and later that night I'm gonna go get with family members that man I always struggle with Christ I need you to be put back on again we need to do this on a day in and day out basis several times a day and here's my hope my hope is this that every time you change your clothes from now on you will have a reminder from the Holy Spirit that says are you putting me on as often as you're putting outfits on because Paul is saying this, that we need to clothe ourselves. We need to make the decision to put Christ on in our life and live by what he is saying and not by what the world is saying in the emptiness of their thinking. Do you get the picture of what Paul is painting here? Okay, so then he transitions in this section of scripture, and begins to give us some incredibly practical tools to begin to move out in this growing and the maturing in him. He said, we gotta put on Christ and then again, from 25 to 32, I'm gonna read it through real quick. I want you to listen to all the different practical things that he's asking you and I to do. And as a matter of fact, this is just the start because going into chapter five and chapter six, he starts showing really practical ways on how to live life. How to live with one another how to live with your spouse how to live with kids how to live with people that you work for how to leave, live with people that work for you I, he goes into all of these things and he starts it right here therefore okay what's the therefore therefore okay he's saying he's saying now that you understand this that the goal is to have your mind renewed through The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is now given to you, each one has inside of you, renew that thinking so you don't have emptiness like the world does, but you have the fullness of my thought, and so you put Christ on. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his or her hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Everybody say all. all. Get rid of all bitterness rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave. Do you see the practical application right here of what he's trying to teach? And here is what I'm going to uh, propose to you. And I realize that sometimes when I teach, I get really black and white. And so I understand there's some gray area in it, and it's not always as simple as saying this or this, but could it be that if we don't put on Christ, we are going to have a difficult time being truthful with one another? Could it be that we are going to have a difficult time dealing with our anger if we don't put on Christ? Could it be that we give the devil a foothold if we don't put on Christ? Could it be that we steal? And I was thinking about this. It's not just physical stuff that you would steal, but you can steal from people emotionally. You know that? We can steal by the way we treat people or how we handle or interact with one another. Are we going to steal? The interesting thing here is the, the, the difference between stealing and sharing. That's what it says here. It says, don't steal, but work so that you can share. If you put on Christ, are you gonna steal or share? Let me ask that one more time. If you put on Christ, are you gonna steal or share? share. You're gonna share. If you're operating in your flesh, are you going to steal or share? Steal. You're gonna steal. Because it's just about you. But when you put it on Christ, you realize, man, I want to become a servant like Jesus did. What he did for me is I want to do for others. And so we share. And it might be financial. It might be material things. But it could also be emotional sharing. It It could be just coming along to somebody and helping them go through a difficult time. That's sharing. You're sharing you with somebody else. We do that when we put on Christ. How about this one? If you don't put on Christ, then you may have a hard time edifying others, yes? You might find yourself with unwholesome talk. Um, I am going to spend a minute here because right now we live in a time where there is a battle of words, whether it be online or media or just even an interaction that you have with family. Neighbors, coworkers, there's a battle, and God wants us to use our words wisely. In Proverbs, it says, we have the power of life and death in our tongue. Another one speaks the fact that a rudder of a ship turns, this little teeny rudder will turn a huge ship, such as our tongue when we speak. There is great power in our words. And what he is saying here is do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. That word unwholesome, in other translations, says corruptible. And if you look it up, it actually means rotten. Like fruit gets rotten. Have you ever heard the saying one apple, one rotten apple ruins the whole bunch? Okay, so I got thinking about this, and I was reminded of something that a family in this church told me. They heard of this experiment with fruit. So they took a piece of fruit, cut it in half, put it in two different jars, and they spoke life over one half, and they spoke death over the other half. And after a period of time, the one they spoke death over became black. The one they spoke life over kept the original apple color. And I was like, okay, I remember that. So I looked it up, I went online, and there are YouTube videos over and over and over of people doing things like this. But the one that caught my attention was this one. I want you to watch this. Dr. Emoto has conducted. into three glass beakers and covered it with water and then every day for a month he said thank you to one beaker (inaudible) you're an idiot to the second (inaudible) and the third one he completely ignored after one month the rice that had been thanked began to ferment, giving off a strong, pleasant aroma. The rice in the second beaker turned black. And the rice that was ignored began to rot. Dr. Emoto thinks that this experiment provides an important lesson. I looked video after video after video, experiment after experiment, and they all had Uh, the same effect on that. The one that was spoken to with life stayed white, and the one that was spoken death actually turned black and moldy. And there was anywhere from students that were doing this to uh, housewives. There was all kinds of different experiments that, that said that. My son is currently doing it right now. He's like, oh, dude, I gotta try this. So he's got the three jars on the counter right now. You speaking life over the one? What what kind of things are you saying to the bad one? <laughs> I hate holding your glass. I hate holding your glass. You're just a jerk. Oh yeah, you're so ugly. Oh, that is right. Okay, so I looked into this uh, because I was like, okay, what in the world is going on? And I actually uh, found some input from some scientists about this. And here's what the scientists say: It's not about the fruit or the water. Or have you ever heard this? Speak to your plant, and it will grow better. Okay. I know people that have done that. Okay. Um, they, the scientists say it's not about the fruit or the rice or the plant. It's about the water in those things. And they've done experiments with water where they play like classical music and it turns into these really pretty crystals. Water responds to different sounds in different ways. Now here's what's interesting. Church, each one of us in this room is made up of 50 to 70 percent water. God says we have the power of life and death in our words. Could there be a scientific explanation to the fact that when we speak life over one another, it actually changed the molecules in 70 percent of our body to react positively or where somebody speaks negatively or we're ignored, it actually affects those cells in a negative way. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I did a limited amount of research on this, but I thought it was very interesting, and it lined up with what the Word of God says in the fact that we have power of life and death in our words. And when Paul is saying here, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, I was convicted. Because in this time, right now, I'm struggling to keep everything built up, edifying, and filled with life. I say things like, I hate these masks. I told my wife, I'm sick and tired of being woken up in the middle of the night trying to figure out what decision we're going to make as a church and keeping me awake. I speak all of this death. And I was convicted that I need to change my words because I have life and death in them. And if I want to line up with what God has for me, and if I truly believe that God uses everything for his good and our good, then I better start speaking that out. And scientifically, could it actually change 70% of my makeup if I will do that? Man, that is powerful, powerful. And so, church, I would just encourage you. Let's go to God. Let's get divine revelation. Let's fill our brains, not with the emptiness of this world, but let's fill our brains with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Let's be renewed in our minds with the Spirit, and let's let Him fill us up. Because I believe that if we'll let him fill us up, we will put him on on a regular basis. If we'll put him on a regular basis, then what happens? All these things that he started instructing here and will continue in 5 and 6, we will do not because our flesh rises up and tries to do it, because our spirit is leading us to do it. And there is a great difference when we allow God to speak to us because it becomes a work of that doesn't have a heavy burden. Have you ever tried to stop a habit in your flesh? You know what it says actually in Romans is that when you do that, it entices the flesh. Try to quit smoking or quit drinking or quit and try to do it in your flesh without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. You start thinking about that thing more than you ever did beforehand. At least when I smoked, I knew when I could have one. Now that I've decided I'm not going to smoke, I can't stop thinking about the fact I can't smoke. The flesh, it it becomes heavy, it becomes a burden, and we have a hard time stopping that thing. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I want you to quit, and I'm going to give you the power for it. The burden is light, the yoke is easy, and we can step walking into it. It still takes a little sweat equity. It still takes a little sweat equity. But there's life to it, and it's the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation that comes from the enemy. And so this word today, I pray, would be convicting. I don't want anybody to feel condemned or beaten up, but I want you to realize that what God has for us and what He desires for us is to understand that we are loved by him, that we are adopted by him. We are his children. Everything that the Ephesians says in the first three chapters, we are his. He's proud to call us son. He's proud to call us daughter. He died. It was his great pleasure to die so that we could have this relationship and come to that understanding so that then we can come to this place and understand, okay, you love us so much that you won't leave us where we're at. And so, Keep maturing us, keep growing us. And the way that I do that and that I allow that to happen is I simply ask you for inspiration and I put you on as many times as I think about it during the day. And when we do that, I believe we will grow in our walk with Him. We will mature in our faith. And who knows, you may actually be one of those five things that then come along somebody else and starts equipping them to do those things. Amen? Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of God. We thank you for the power of our words. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us inspiration. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would seal this in our hearts and our minds. God, we thank you so much that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to do this alone, that we don't have to go at it alone. But Lord, through your revelation and through your Spirit speaking to our minds, we will fill ourselves up with the purpose and the plans, the invitation, the calling that you have for each one of us. And so Lord, I pray that every single person listening to me right now would respond to your invitation that they would simply respond to the invitation, whether it is coming to you for the very first time and asking you to just start to live in them. Or if it's for somebody that has been in relationship with you for years, God, I pray that you would invite them into the thing that you have for them today and for this week and for this month. And God, I pray at that moment, we would all make the decision, because it's just a decision, to put you on and not our old And Lord, give us the strength to do that and then to just step out in the things that you are speaking to us as we clothe ourselves in you. Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you that um, you don't leave us alone. (laughs) We thank you that you care for us so much. You know the number of hair on our head, that you want to be involved in our lives on a daily basis. And so, Lord, we respond to that and we say yes, yes, Lord, yes.